Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Testers Desert Island. It's Testers Island Discs, episode number 56, where today I'm joined by Lewis Prescott. Lewis has been working since last year as a QA lead for Sarah Care in the digital healthcare sector, and he has other previous automation-focused roles in the medical sector, including with Cancer Research UK and a stint with the online fashion retailer ASOS, where I actually spent a little while myself on a contract some years ago. Outside the workplace, many of his interests are sporting in nature. He was the president of Touch Rugby while he was at the University of East Anglia. He volunteered at the 2015 Rugby World Cup and also at the London 2012 Olympics, where he was helping out with the volleyball teams. Welcome to the podcast, Lewis. Thanks for having me. Uh, Really excited to be here. It's a real pleasure, and I'm delighted to announce to the audience, for the first time since episode two, I forgot to hit record, so we've already been through this little section uh, once already. We'll try to keep this natural. <laughs> um, it's not your first appearance on the Ministry of Testing feed recently. You were also on Testphere Roulette, which I assume went much more smoothly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was really nice to spend time with Simon um, and, yeah, see what the roulette had for us. Yeah, I was on there myself recently with Dan Billing and the, the cards didn't seem to be quite as random as they could have been. He, we got a security focused questions, which is dubious. Yeah, well, with the cards were very nice to us, actually. Um, we got some nice ones about um, observability and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was very uh, topical. Fantastic. And I also believe on that episode, you were slightly too late to plug a workshop you're about to do for the Ministry of Testing. By coincidence, you're also slightly too late again because you've just rerun it today. What was the workshop about? Yeah, so uh, it's an introduction to API contract testing with PACT. um, And we go into detail about what it is, how it's different to integration testing. And um, yeah, we also run through a consumer-driven example with PackJS. Um, so yeah, it's a great workshop. Uh, I'm sure we'll be running a hands-on session again in the future. Fantastic. And if it sounds interesting to you listeners, then that's good news because that's basically what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I guess you've had a bit more time for this sort of thing recently as you were tweeting that you're on parental leave. Uh, how's that been going? Yeah, it's been going good. It's very uh, tiring. Um, looking after your child turns out it's a lot harder than Um, work actually is so we're looking forward to getting a rest when we go back to work excellent and before we get around to all that resting we should talk about why you're here so just in case you've jumped in straight to the podcast in episode 56 let's explain how it works lewis has been stranded on the thankfully fictional testers desert island and he's been allowed to bring five songs with him to keep him sane what's the first song that you've chosen lewis and why so i've chosen a song um power over me by dermot kennedy Um, So we actually played this at the civil partnership that I had with my wife um, in December. So it's close close to us um, for that reason. Um, We've seen Dermot live a couple of times. Um, So yeah, it's a very personal song for me. Call and I'll rush out Call out of breath now You got that power over me Power over me, my, my, 
that was Dermot Kennedy with Power Over Me, Dermot Kennedy's first appearance on our Spotify playlist. Actually, all five of Lewis's artists are new, and some of those are going to be quite surprising to you that they've not been picked before. So we're here today to talk a bit about Pact. Uh, Lewis, for anyone who's not heard of Pact before, what's like the the elevator pitch or the one-liner of, of what it even is? Yeah, so the way I kind of describe it to people is if you flip integrate integration testing upside down um, you get contract testing and pact is a tool that enables us to do that Um, so it's the ability for you to test your api services from the point of view of the consumer so the consumer is like a web app or a mobile app Um, so you're really testing your services from the point of view of the user um, and that's why i really like it Hmm. it's something that i've used myself in a few roles i mean a lot of my recent roles have been in the um the insurance industry and sort of in the price comparison sector um Mm. where you have you you need to have contracts basically because you are sending requests out to maybe 50 different partners and Mm. you're expecting their response to come back in a particular format Uh, and now again rather than have that big guesswork you can provide them with a contract and say um here is what a response from you is supposed to look like. And that means that they can then put your contracts into effectively into their integration test. So that they mm-hmm. make tests to their system. They can know that they are going to break you before they break you. And that's absolutely essential with anything that's running at, at scale. Mm, exactly that. And yeah, I link it very closely into continuous delivery. So the end-to-end tests don't give you that confidence that, as you say, you're going to break something before you, you release it. And that's where contract testing really fits nicely into that continuous delivery um, topic. I think automation, when it gets bundled together as one ginormous thing that just exists, does get a bad rap sometimes. But yeah, when you can point to specific kinds of automation and specific types of problems that they solve um, that could be really helpful Um, I'm someone who recently has been struggling a bit because uh, I'm doing some quite intensive hiring at the moment and I've been looking at CVs non-stop and when I see people just saying oh I I was involved in the automation it tells me nothing it doesn't tell me Mm -hmm. did you press the run button in Jenkins or have you Mm -hmm. been uh, writing deeply technical uh, script what is it about Pact that makes it different to all the the automation that, that a lot of people have more experience with yeah, I think that's a really good point. And um, yeah, Pact kind of comes in at that earlier stage. I think it bridges that gap between your integration tests, which are generally written by your testers, and then um, the unit tests, which are, are usually written by your developers. And it really bridges that gap. And it also opens up the communication between your teams. And I think that's kind of where I really see the value of um, people who have experience with contract testing is you really realize they understand how their services work. They understand it from that kind of core level of how you construct an API, what you should be getting response-wise from an API. So they understand that, that deep level and also they understand the conversations you need to be having between teams. Um, so that's that's what it provides for you. Yeah. Yeah, microservices is, is such a hot topic at the moment. It's, it's certainly the, the way the world is heading. And uh, we've already seen a push towards making sure your APIs are well documented. And you've got things like Swagger and, and mm. self-generating documentation, which can be really, really beneficial. But then when you lump in contract testing as well, it's like not only is it self-documenting, it's also basically self-testing. Mm. 
And that's the thing, like it's so tied into your design of your system. Contract testing just kind of falls out the other side. And it's not, once you've embedded it in, it's not something you really have to think about. Um, but it is, it's a hurdle to get it introduced because people are not so, so kind of comfortable with it. Yeah, that's certainly something we're going to talk about in an upcoming section is some of the challenges of getting started with it and some of the problems it's looking to overcome. Mm -hmm. Before we do that, it's time for song number two. So song number two for me is um, The Weeknd, Wicked Games. Um, So I listened to this um, album numerous, numerous times uh, when I was doing my graduate scheme in Leeds. And on my first client, um, I had a walk along the canal in Leeds to to the client and I just listened to this album on repeat the whole time and it's just an amazing voice on the guy and yeah I think he's kind of lost his way a bit in his later albums but um, this just really takes me back to to the start of my kind of testing journey. That was The Weekend with Wicked Games. And unlike Lewis, I'm actually a big fan of his recent stuff. His new album that's just come out this year, Dawn FM, is my favourite album of the year. We're only in February, but it, uh, it's pretty damn good. It's, it's kind of conceptual. Uh, it features Jim Carrey as a DJ between the tracks, being right. Jim Carrey-ish. But, um, and I mean, there's a couple of really big radio hits off there already, but um, worth, worth a listen, I think. Yeah, I have to jump back in. I kind of stopped listening to him a, a couple of albums ago. He, um, yeah, he, he's he's done some weird things. Like he, he started appearing in films as himself and stuff, and that's that's never a good sign. But uh, well, anyhow, he's such a wealthy man, isn't he? So yeah. <laughs> Back to the reason why we're here. One of the reasons that I was so keen to get you on, Lewis, is uh, much like last month, I'm trying to tap my guests for hints for my new role. I've just walked into a situation where I've inherited a, a lot of end-to-end automation tests, which aren't going to scale well. As, as soon as you start trying to release more often or try to run them against more browsers, it immediately becomes infinitely more complex. How does Pact look to fix this sort of problem? Yeah, so... Referring to the article proving end-to-end tests are a scam, um, this is all about how when you're using Pact, you um, the consumer is running their tests against a mock server, so there's no kind of dependencies there. And then when the provider runs the, the same contract to verify that they can um, integrate with the consumer, then you're just running that against that individual um, service. So there's no multiple entities in order to run those tests. Whereas when you run an end-to-end test, the more complex your system becomes and the more integration points and services that you add in, that needs to scale, right? So when you're running your end-to-end test, you have to spin up everything in order to check that your system 
um, integrates successfully, whereas in contract testing, you're just spinning up that individual service to run your tests. And this is what the, bro the blog brilliantly proves um, using some kind of magic mathematics, which I don't understand, but it's it's, it's a very good article. Um, I'll give it a read. Yeah, to, to paraphrase somebody, I think any 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 sufficient amount of maths is indistinguishable from magic, and and that article uh, certainly proves that. But yeah, as soon as you start to pin down exactly the single entity that it is that you want to test, uh, you immediately remove a massive amount of complexity from your test code as well. Like maintaining end to end tests, and you know a, a walkthrough of a journey on your website is um, it's time consuming. Uh, a lot of end to end tests are somewhat arbitrary. Like people don't come onto your site and do the same actions with the same five steps in a row every time. Mm. They you know they meander around the site. They go away. They make a cup of tea. They come back. They unplug the laptop. They go to a different hotspot. Um, if you tackle each of your elements of your system uh, independently and ensure that they are independently uh, robust, uh, it does make things a lot simpler. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what um, the move to microservices kind of proves, right, is that if you've got something which has an individual purpose, then that's what you should be testing against, not um, running all these um, scenarios, which um, mm -hmm. difficult to maintain. And without wanting to throw in every single buzzword, if we start thinking about the idea of shifting left or we start thinking about the the godforsaken testing pyramid, uh, as soon as you start to evaluate your end-to-end -end test and think about, well, at what other level could we do this? Um, that's where you can start to look at um, maybe some of these tests go at a slightly different level where they will run faster or quicker or uh, just easier to maintain. Yeah, and I, th I think that's... The shift left part really does come down to that conversation that you're going to have. So, like in my experience, I've by implementing this, you start having conversations with other teams about, okay, are you using this field? What, how are you using it? How do you deal with these error conditions and all that kind of stuff? And so, then when you're developing your API, you actually develop it in a different way. And so, that's that's the true like value of shifting left and contract testing really brings that out. Yeah. I'm going to have to get podcast t-shirts printed soon saying that it's all, it's all about people. It's all about conversations. Cause that's basically the running theme through 56 episodes, I think. Um, yeah. But it does also present us with, with one of the challenges, which is whereas with a lot of, of testing tools or techniques that you might want to implement in a team, you might want to just go off and start doing something yourself. Mm. It's very difficult to start, um, implementing a packed solution in isolation because you need the buy-in from the business to, to, for example, gather your expected contracts. Yeah, that's been the biggest um, thing for me um, in getting it going is getting buy-in from, from other teams. So like I was a provider in one example. So then I just started writing consumer tests based on the um, logs that we had. And then I would share that with the team and say, look, is this how you're interacting with us? Are you happy with it? But obviously, that's not the right way to do it. And then, so yeah, it's all about selling it to them and then getting getting it built um, that way. Um, so yeah, it does become a bit of a sales pitch, but... I think that the benefits are there in the end, and uh, I think that's what we're hearing today. Um, in the next section, we're going to go through some of the lingo that you might come across if you're working in a packed world. So uh, grab yourself a pen and paper, and in the meantime, let's hear from Lewis about what his third song choice is. Yeah, so my third song is Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. 
Um, so chose this song because uh, when my time at ASOS, which is a big part of um, my testing career, um, it's based in Camden, and that's where Amy Winehouse frequented. Um, so there's a statue of her in Camden Market, um, which we would often go down to for lunch. Um, so yeah, just brings back memories of, of my time there. That was the sounds of Amy Winehouse with Back to Black. Now, at this point in the conversation, uh, this is where I would normally like to have a lovely, you know, a tech demo of Let's See It in Action. But we're already in audio format, which makes that slightly difficult. <laughs> I guess one thing yep. we could do is is talk through some of the terms that people might come across so that if they were to go away and watch a YouTube video or attend a workshop such as one of yours, they might be familiar with some of the terms. Um, so we've talked about about contracts already, uh, which is, is kind of, uh, to paraphrase, it's your definition of what um, a request or a response from your API would look like. Mm -hmm. uh, what else is there to it? How do you then, for example, in a test, get in touch with those uh, get with those contracts? Yeah, so we there's kind of three concepts that you need to understand um, within contract testing and with Pact. So you've got your consumer, that's your web app or your mobile app. Then you've got your provider, so that's your API service or any events that you are uh, raising. And then you've got your pack broker. So the broker is where the, the contracts are stored. So when the consumer generates their contract based on their request response expectations, then they can publish that to the pack broker. The pack broker stores it all and versions it, does all that good stuff. And then the provider can then pull down that contract and verify that their service conforms with the contract. And at that point, you um, publish the verification status. And then, happy days, the loop has been um, closed. And so at that point, the consumer can say, can I deploy using a CLI tool? Um, and then they can deploy that application to production. Yeah, it's one of those things that really does benefit from just seeing a really simple diagram. If you can imagine, here's an architecture diagram of how your application looks in production, and then you flip over and go, well, actually, when we're in test mode, um, this bit gets swapped out, and this is where your uh, your mocks come in and, and where your broker gets contacted. Um, mm -hmm. it, it becomes a lot easier to visualize. And I, I will link to some, some resources for, to help people. Um, but I think it goes without saying that there is a, a level of technical understanding uh, to building a packed solution. Um, and obviously, not all testers come from... Uh, either a full stack background or an automation background, other ways that people can still get involved in a packed project without necessarily having coding knowledge? Yeah, definitely. I think what I always encourage within my teams and um, with any tester who, who wants to become either more technical, get involved in automation, or even just understand how the system works a bit more, is pair with, with developers on it. Right, like once you've actually set up the um, the framework itself, which is very simple to set up, it's 
Um, it's just adding those interactions and all the language is as if you were interacting with an API. Um, so if you've got experience with Postman or um, anything like that, then you should be able to translate that to, to a packed um, test. So yeah, pair um, or just, yeah, kind of be involved in that conversation around API design because that's where you can bring in the conversation about where are these contracts going to be stored. Yeah, and I'm obviously biased coming from my own background, but yeah, being involved in um, having enough knowledge about the API design process is just valuable full stop uh, mm -hmm. in whatever technologies you, you choose to be involved in. Uh, in the next section, we're going to talk a bit more about your workshop that you created and the process of creating it, because I'm always interested in, in how people produce content. Uh, but do you have any other suggestions for, for good places to go for anyone who'd like to either find out more about PACT or see a demo of it in action? Yeah, so Packflow has uh, a great blog, which has some great introduction videos on there. And then obviously check out the um, resources on Ministry of Testing. Um, this is some good stuff there. Um, and Test Automation University has a free um, introduction to contract testing as well. Fantastic. I'm picturing myself listening back to this in a week or so's time and making the notes for the show notes. And that sounds like a bumper, lot of notes. If you scroll down to wherever you see your notes in your podcast app, you should see that I've been very, very busy. <laughs> but in the final section, we're going to focus on what Lewis has been producing, which is his introduction to API contract testing that he ran for the Ministry of Testing recently. But in the meantime, we've got two songs left to go. What's song number four for you today? Yeah, song number four is um, Stormzy Vossibop. Um, so I saw Stormzy at Glastonbury make history by headlining first rap artist um, to headline at Glastonbury. Um, so it was really iconic. And um, there's a moment in Vossibop where he says the F word, Boris, and <laughs> he stopped because the crowd went absolutely crazy and just reran the track and did the whole um, line again, which was just like an amazing moment and also a big F to uh, the current <laughs> Prime Minister. Well, you say current Prime Minister at time of recording, let's say. <laughs> yeah, 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 so true. <laughs> Tell your girl to link me at the coffee shop Getting freaky in the sheets, we're taking body shots Then I finish with a face with just to top it off hey. You ain't got a clue, let's be honest I had a couple seasons made of forest I put in the work and take the profit Looking at my girl like what a goddess Thank God. Rule number two, don't make the promise If you can't keep the deal, then just be honest, just be honest. I can never die, I'm Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris. Fuck the government and fuck Boris Yeah, yeah. I'm a villain as the podcast progresses, we're slowly ticking off all those songs that are long overdue to get on the playlist. And that there is Stormzy with Vossy Bop. Now, Lewis, we mentioned at the top that you have just this very day given a workshop for the Ministry of Testing, a 99-minute workshop on an intro to API contract testing. Um, it's a complex topic, as we've already found. Um, it must be pretty damn complex to squeeze it into 99 minutes. How do you choose what makes the cut and what has to stay on the sides? Yeah, so I think what we've kind of just discussed throughout this um, podcast is around um, kind of understanding what it is, understanding where it fits into the kind of testing cycle, and also how to get started with it. And so that's kind of what I cover in the workshop is um, why you would use it, where it fits into the 
the testing cycle and also um, just a very simple consumer test to, to, to demonstrate what that kind of looks like. Um, so yeah, I very much just touch upon the, the basics and also touch upon um, how you would sell it to your team so that you can get started because that's the, the biggest challenge as we discussed. Hmm. Within a 99 minute workshop, is there enough time for people to actually get hands on themselves or are you, is it more you're, you're presenting a demo because it's slightly slicker? So there's a little chunk at the end um, where we kind of do a code along. So there's a, a little um, GitHub repo which I've given people access to and hopefully they can follow along. Um, but a lot of it is boilerplate code that I've chucked in there. Um, but yeah, it's it's not as hands-on as I would have liked. But yeah, as you say, it's very difficult. It's largely time dependent. Yeah, certainly from my own experiences with with running and attending workshops, one of the biggest challenges is um, depending on the domain you're working in, getting students up and running with what it is you're trying to do. Like I've been to workshops that have needed you to to download a VM snapshot mm. and get that up and running on your machine. And you know, everyone has a different OS, everyone has a different level of experience with VMs and Docker and all sorts of things. Mm. And you don't want to lose an hour of a 99 minute workshop to to just making sure you can get to the starting point. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the thing with with Pact as well. Like a lot of it is dependent on your OS because obviously it's, it has different mechanisms for um, Macs and Windows and stuff. So yeah, unless I'm in the room with, with people to to solve those problems, um, it is quite challenging. I'm glad you brought up in the room because for as much as I've attended and given conference talks during the pandemic workshops are, are a different kettle of fish aren't they because mm. it does so often benefit from that face-to-face -face feedback from being able to see which person is maybe struggling and needs you to directly give them some attention um do you feel like you've you've reached a point where you know how to do this online effectively yeah i think um the first couple of times it was really unnerving not having people's faces looking at you mm. and like not having that that immediate feedback from people um, but then I actually became quite comfortable with it and it means when you make a mistake you don't get any reaction which is actually quite nice <laughs> um, so there are pros and cons um, but yeah I think for, for me right I've won I've run this workshop numerous times within my organization I've run it numerous times in different forms um, at conferences and um, at kind of just meetups so yeah I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with the content so yeah yeah thankfully it looks like um i'm not gonna say the worst is over because uh, you never know what the future's gonna bring and variants yeah. are gonna bring but we're only a month away from the first in-person uh, test bash for a while there's a test bash x happening in brighton mm. at the end of march really looking forward to to seeing uh pictures of that i don't think i'm going to be able to get down there myself uh, despite the fact that i now work for a company that's based in brighton and i could probably mm -hmm. uh put it down as a business expense but yeah. um yeah Giving having interactions online is is always a challenge, and this is something that I've I've um, found a lot recently in, in like company meetings and team meetings, um, particularly working in a new team, is like um, tools like Meet. You've got like the raise your hand button that you can press if you want to ask mm. a question, and it seems a bit um, you know backwards. Like you, you could just chip in if you wanted to talk. And as someone who does a lot of uh, talking professionally in a format like this, you know I'm quite 
well versed in knowing when someone's about to finish talking and when it's a good time for me to come in. But when you're in a room that's got like a dozen other people who aren't as confident, mm. I've realized that actually I should start using that feature more than I do because it's not for me to choose it. It's my time to come in now. Mm. Uh, and there's a bit of self-discipline there. And I, th- I think that comes down to, yeah, how you, how you choose to adjust your, uh, your presentation to the format that you've got. Yeah. And yeah, the other thing about doing it online is there's a lot more prep up front. You really have to fill those gaps. Whereas in person, quite often before, I would just have like a headline slide and then I'd just kind of fill the room and we'd go on kind of tangents here and there. Whereas online, you absolutely cannot do that. So yeah, uh, yeah there's a lot more prep up front. Yeah, there, there is a, a real, real skill to that. I, I took the uh, a variant of the rapid software testing course with Michael Bolton recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he, he's one of the masters of that in that, you know, he's got 100, 200, maybe slides of material and some applications and some videos and some examples. And he doesn't know on any given day which one he's going to present. But the conversation goes one way and he presses a magic shortcut and the right thing appears. And I, I'm just jealous of that, let alone the content. That's mad. That yeah. is mad. Uh, speaking of content, we're rapidly coming towards the end of ours. That's a segue for you. Into a seg- it's a segue into talking about your fifth song choice. Yeah, so my fifth song is Drake, Hold On, We're Going Home. Um, so this takes me back to um, my first job out of uni. Um, I took a apprenticeship um, in an organisation to... Yeah, just basically learn what I was doing and also get involved in something that I'd never done before. Um, and it was an hour drive from my house um, to the to the job. And yeah, Drake was kind of had permanent fixture on on my playlist. So yeah, that's where that comes in. You left your mark on me. I want your high love and emotion. That's Hold On, We're Going Home by Drake. The fifth and final song choice from Lewis today. And the one other thing that Lewis has been allowed to bring to the island is a book. Just one book to keep you busy for the rest of time. What book did you choose, Lewis? Yeah, so I chose The Curious Instant of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Cadden. Um, So I worked at Special Needs Camp for two summers in America while I was at uni. And um, obviously this book talks about a a kid with um, autism and his experiences from his perspective and it's a really fantastic book if you um, haven't read it or if you haven't seen the West End show which they've turned it into um, which is fantastic um, yeah do have a read because it's a really fantastic book 
Fantastic. We're decidedly lacking in children's books on the island. Um, now, thankfully, there, there aren't many children inhabiting the island, but it's, it's good to have a, a bit of variety in the bookshelf. So uh, that book will be added to the collection that we've got gathered on goodreads.com, which is linked in the show notes. And in the show notes, you'll also find a link to the Spotify playlist that has Lewis's five songs and the other 275 songs he says doing the maths in his head <laughs> that are featured on the podcast. I think it's actually slightly more than that because like the Christmas special, we had like 10 songs and sometimes mm-hmm. there are there are songs that aren't on Spotify, but it's about it's it's about there. We've been going for we're approaching our fifth anniversary now. I, I can't believe I'm doing a podcast for, for nine or five years. But uh, yeah, that brings us to the conclusion of our time together on the island. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for talking to me at the end of uh, what's been a, a busy day of presenting for you and a busy day of interviewing uh, candidates work for me. Um, if people would like to get in touch with you when you've, you know, rested, had some sleep, had some time to, to think about what's gone behind you, uh, where are the best places for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, connect with me on LinkedIn or um, get in touch with me on Twitter. Um, I'm Weege Prescott on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the best place. Just drop me a tweet or um, send me a message. Fantastic. I'm starting to put my uh, head back onto Twitter again. I, at the start, like January the 1st, New Year's resolution is always, I'm taking a break from Twitter. And yeah, we're early, early Feb. Uh, I'm done with that. I want to talk to people. I want to see the world. So uh, yeah, I will we'll join you on there sometime soon. Uh, and yeah, all the notes of everything we've gone through today can be found in the show notes. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Lewis, for coming here and talking about a, a very technical subject in a very concise manner. And uh, hopefully that's been helpful to people. Yeah, hopefully um, you can take something away from this podcast if it's not some songs that you should listen to. Uh, or why not both? <laughs> yeah, go, go listen to the songs while you're running through a packed demo. Uh, exactly. And look forward to seeing everybody here back on the podcast uh, same time next month. Bye, everyone. Bye. Testers on Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.